in this edition of Hoopsology. We welcome staff writer and editor for the Washington Post, and he is the author of Barkley, which is the definitive biography of Charles Barkley, Tim Bella. Bella goes into detail about the creative process of creating a book around Barkley and the origin of why Barkley is one of the most compelling figures in sports media. Um, Tim had a lot of great insight just into just the origin of one of the most compelling figures, not really, not only in sports media, but in all of media. I think you're really going to enjoy this chat. Please email your questions to hoopsologypod at gmail.com and follow us on all social media platforms for our latest content. Also, subscribe to our YouTube channel as well, including our new podcast feed. We are a proud member of Underdog Podcast. And now, Tim Bella. He is a staff writer and editor for The Washington Post. And he is the author of Barkley, which is out now, which details the definitive biography of Charles Barkley. We welcome Tim Bella onto Hoopsology. How's it going, Tim? How's it going, Justin? I'm great, man. How about you? I'm doing really well. Thanks for taking some time. And I I think this book really caught my eye because Charles Barkley has always been a figure that I've been following ever since I was younger, just through myself being a huge Jordan fan and then being rivals and then becoming friends. And then just Charles Barkley, just uh, his media work's always been fascinating. So it's a basic question. Just what was the motivation for the book and what was kind of the creative process and just completing it? Yeah, so in a lot of ways, I was like you, just a big basketball fan from that era. I played. I was absolutely terrible, but I still played. Me too. I loved it so much. <laughs> yeah. And as just a short, fat kid in Texas, I wanted to at least do one thing good in basketball, to have one skill. And I chose rebounding to beat that skill and i would see what this undersized kind of pudgy guy was doing in philly and phoenix and eventually in houston and i thought how the hell is charles barkley doing that so really early on i was drawn to him as a fan as a player as someone who um he he was obviously so so um more talented than just anybody else. But for, for me, as a kid, I would see what he was doing with his huge ass and just backing dudes down. I'm like, I've got a big butt too. I will, <laughs> I will <laughs> actually do that. So, yeah, really, totally on kind of started off as being the fan of that. What I got into journalism, and as I got older, I was hearing and seeing a lot of the things he was saying and, and doing that uh, for a lot of other people, they wouldn't think about saying out loud or or actually doing it in real life, but he just didn't care. And I just loved of that. So I thought now was a really good time for a big book on him, uh, especially since he just turned to 60th this week too. That's right. He just celebrated his birthday. And I think they gave him a birthday cake on inside the NBA and I, I think what's endearing about watching that show and just his watching his career like during his playing days and then his broadcasting career is just his humility. Even though he's blunt, he's also very humble and just the way he comes across. Do you know where that, that comes from with your research? Is that something, a quality that he's always had in him or is that something he had to develop just over time? Yeah, I really do think he he gets a lot of what we see from his mother and his grandmother who raised him in Leeds after his father puffed him when he was only 13 months old. Um, he really does 
attribute everything he's done in his life back to his mother, Charcy, and his grandfather, Johnny May. Johnny May is the one who uh, really gave him his personality. She she just um, – she trash-talked people around town. She would always uh, joke with these people and just have um, a big personality. So I think – that part he gets from his grandfather in terms of the um um his humble side and his humility i do think he gets that from his mom more just because um she she worked a couple jobs to help support um him and uh uh, his brothers but I, i do think um him seeing his mom uh as a housekeeper for these affluent mostly white families in Leeds and in a Birmingham area and then him actually going to those homes while she was working and seeing her just bust her ass to uh, provide for Tim and his brothers it really was eye-opening to him and I do think he took a lot from that experience because they were poor but in his words they weren't Ever without anything. They always had food. They always had uh, toys, clothes, whatever they needed just because of, of what she did. So I really do think he always uh, kind of remembers back on those times. So when Barkley first entered the league, he always refers to Moses Malone as a huge mentor to him, referred to him as dad several times. And he's always mentioned him just on inside the NBA in terms of that relationship. Can you kind of go into detail in terms of what is that dynamic like? Because he always refers to him as such a big impact early in his career in terms of kind of giving him advice that I think made him truly successful within the NBA. Yeah, he straight up called him dad because when he got to Philly, uh, Charles never had the relationship with his own biological father, Frank, that, that he always wanted. Uh, Frank Barkley was out in Los Angeles. He would occasionally talk to Frank on the phone or occasionally go out there, but it was never a true father-son relationship. And when Charles got to Auburn, he he tried something similar with uh, his head coach, uh, a son. Honey Smith, and they butted heads a lot in his uh, three years at Hopper, and so he never really got to be that father-son relationship that he had been looking for. So when Charles got to Philly, he found someone in Moses that he not only looked up to as a basketball player, but as a parental figure who was about to snap him into shape because when Charles got there, Moses straight up told him he was fat and he was right. <laughs> extremely lazy. And yep. Charles asked him, what do I have to do to get out there? And Moses told him, you have to get in shape and I will help you get in shape. I mean, if these guys would run um, uh, after practice, before practice, uh, you, you name it. And it got to a point where Charles finally got on th- – the court and finally started and he flourished starting his rookie year and he can attribute some of that to Moses who also lived in his same apartment building and Moses 
would often have the sense of when Charles Barkley was ordering pizza to the point that he would go up to his apartment and say, stop ordering pizza. I can, <laughs> I can smell it, Charles. So, <laughs> so he was a very good influence on him. And honestly, if Moses was not there, I wonder how Charles Barkley would have turned out just because he had such an incredible influence right when he got to the NBA that not a lot of other guys did. Do you think that's something it's it's missing from the modern day NBA? It's just that mentorship because I just see Charles, you know, I've seen when in your interviews you refer to him. He kind of puts his foot in the mouth sometimes, but he's always willing to apologize. But at the same time, he's always blunt and I think brutally honest when no one else is saying anything. Like he's there to actually be a voice. And I think sometimes players don't like that. And I feel like if he was to really be a mentor like Moses was to him, I feel I don't know if, the, if players would respond so good nowadays just due to the player empowerment era. Is do you see that as like a huge problem in, in kind of this era of basketball culture in terms of you know Moses, like you said, you know probably play a big role in you know helping his NBA career. And if Barkley were to bestow that wisdom on this, you know a lot of players now, I don't know if they would take his advice. Do you agree or disagree with that? I agree just because a culture now is so different than it was back then. Um, some ways good, some ways not so good. But, yeah. I mean, if if you see current structures, like I'm a big Rockets fan still, and it's been just unwatchable the past couple of years, and if there hasn't really been of veteran presence outside Eric Gordon there. But Eric Gordon's not – He's not Dr. J. He's not uh, a. I know. So, anyway, in general, though, I do think uh, that it it might have an impact if Charles were around today. But on the other hand, too, he's so far moved from this modern day player now. I mean, he last played in 2000. It's been. Yeah over two decades now so i i i think that if if it's someone else who is similar to charles who has been around these guys and has a better understanding then i think they would have a better shot i mean i know one name who to, has come up is uh amon green and i think that's probably out the window now but someone like that who who has the respect of his peers, who has accomplished things both as individual and on a team level, can help some of these younger guys coming in because um, you probably see this a lot more than I do, but there is a lot of bad basketball on tonight tonight basis, even when there is so much talent in the league right now. And I do think some of that younger talent would benefit from a Moses from a truck. Um, but unfortunately, there are not a lot of those setups right now. No, I uh, I think that's a good point. I, I think I mean, this is something my uh, co-host we've talked about. It's just the players having a little bit too much power in terms of the player empowerment era. And I think not being able to receive wisdom from the players that came before them. And I think that's manifesting itself on some nights where the basketball is not that great, like you said. 
Um, I want to shift gears and and focus on when Charles first entered the league and just how undersized he was and how he was able to really utilize all of his abilities to become really a force within the league. Can you talk about that in terms of just, you know, his relentless style and not only rebounding, but just being a star in just multiple cities that he was in, you know, in Philly and then in, you know, Phoenix and even in Houston, just him just always you know being an elite player and but yeah at the same time you know there's the greatest player of all time you know in front of him and can i what was that dynamic like doing with your research in terms of you know jordan wasn't around a lot like other of his peers you know barkley would probably be a multiple you know this a lot more success in terms of championships you know he'd always get teased by charles i'm sorry by shaq not winning a title um, what was that dynamic like in terms of your research, in terms of him, kind of that quest to be a champion throughout his entire career? Google me, Chuck. Google me. <laughs> I, I still have that in my head. It's just constantly, <laughs> so I had to say it as well. No, but, but that first part, though, I mean, I mean you see somewhat like Charles, who was 6'6", six, six, but really like 6'4", and he weighed – upwards of 270 280 um and you would see this guy and we hadn't seen this before where someone would grab a rebound go coast to coast put it behind his back and and slam it down with with so much force we just hadn't seen that before we hadn't seen someone who who could start and finish his own fast break like that. So uh, for me, and people forget about his athleticism and just how he really was an anomaly for his size, um, stature. In fact, came from just all of those years where he was essentially a guard in middle school, in high school, and then he gets his growth spurt and all of a sudden he is a power forward and the center and high school to college who who can handle like a point guard um so i i really and we see that a lot more now with these modern players but back then we hadn't seen anything like that before so i i do think that helped him stand out amongst of, of uh a crowd of extremely talented guys back then but on that second part Charles, like everybody else, ran into Michael Jordan at just the absolute wrong time in NBA life. He's born a couple years earlier or even a couple years after than Jordan. He probably would have had a chance at one or two championships. But uh, the fact is they were born only a few days apart in in February of uh, 63. Uh, They came out in the same draft class on the same dream team. And I I counted, he, uh, Charles ran into Michael Jordan teams that won the NBA championship at least three separate times in what was considered his prime from the end of his early years right through that first year in Phoenix where he finally does make the NBA Finals. So it, it, it is really an interesting what if because I think he got the closest out of any able to actually pushing George to a Game 7 and it, it 
would have been at home and with Barkley just at the peak of his powers. But uh, like everybody else, just couldn't beat Mike. <laughs> so based on that and based on the book being your book being out for a matter of months now, what was the has how has been the reception like? Has there been younger viewers of the NBA that have grown more of an appreciation for Barkley's based on reading it? What's been the reaction to the book so far in terms of just Charles Barkley's overall legacy, you think? Yeah, I'd say it's been overwhelmingly positive so far. You know, I've gotten two starred uh reviews in uh publishers weekly and and book list. I, I, I was able to get some incredible endorsements from the likes of Shaq and Dr. J and Chuck D and uh, the Reverend Jesse Jackson, Don Staley. It goes on and on. KG. Um, so yeah. I'm I'm extremely humbled and blessed for that. Uh, some of the best players and some of the biggest figures in pop culture are able to just get down with me and. This book, I, I I find it to be uh, j- just incredible, to be honest with you. And I have gotten some really cool feedback from readers and strangers online, uh, either at these book events or on social media or uh, over email, who have just been so kind and really complimentary. And um, I thank them for that because I really my mission was to make this as comprehensive of a book at Charles as possible, just because he demands it at this moment. Um, he he personally might not enjoy the book, but I, but um, he knows it's out there, and that's his opinion. But I, I do think that um, it, it's been so cool just hearing from people from all over, uh, people from like australia in europe canada who who really just kind of taken to the book and said thank you so um it's been an incredible experience so far justin what had what surprised you from your research in terms of writing the book was there anything that shot you that maybe changed your opinion about charles not necessarily negatively but just something through just all your extensive research that you're like man I, that surprised me just to hear about charles and in, in, in terms of what you're thinking about putting in the book or not there were several things i do think a thing that really stood out the most was you know we've seen him on TV uh, since 2000, uh, he played for 16 years, and we always saw this huge personality, and it was not always that way. If there was a kid who was shy, if there was a kid who got bullied, there was a kid who struggled with anger issues uh, through the early part of his NBA life. I mean, this, this is someone who was not always a finished product. This was someone who very much had to work on himself and find the best version of himself. And I I think it's a good reminder to everyone that that we are still working on to ourselves. It doesn't matter what age we are. We can always get better or 
find a version of herself that you are happy with. And I do think he kept searching for that. And I do think the current version we see of him is what he always wanted. He he always wanted to be happy. He always wanted to um, uh, enjoy his family, his friends, and still make a ton of money, which he's doing now more so than ever. So I do think Kit's a good reminder that um, while we think we know who he is, he has not always been this way. And um, it's just cool to see that, you know. So there's a couple more questions. I want to ask you, since you've done a lot of, you know, research about Charles, I think he's a pioneer in the basketball media space. Those like Draymond, you mentioned, kind of taking that next step, kind of the passing of the torch from a media standpoint, so to speak, in terms of revealing different stories within the league. What do you think in terms of how Charles has affected just the basketball media landscape? I think we've seen, you know, another player like Kendrick Perkins, adopt a style like Charles you, you notice I think I have noticed at least a lot of basketball coverage of at least having somebody on the panel that's a straight shooter and I think we can see that in other sports as well I think Charles is really the first person to get in that lane where do you think he his legacy is from a sports media standpoint because I think it's going to be long lasting in terms of how we see television broadcast moving forward I, I, I might be slightly biased but I, I really don't think there is a more important person in the history of sports media, at least in terms of television and studio shows, than Charles Barkley. Just because if you think about how we saw basketball presented on TV, how we saw sports presented in studio shows, whether it be a pregame show, halftime show, post-game show it was the same thing and it was really boring it was really by a script uh the guys on air felt like they had like zero chemistry uh they had just met each other and it, and we couldn't even imagine what like a real life conversation between these people would look like and then we have charles barkley and he legitimately changed everything and and he Created a model that spots like ESPN have still been chasing for over two decades now. And he opened up opportunities for guys like Jalen Rose, for Perk, for JJ Redick, for people who will really come at you and and have a casual and also serious conversation about basketball, but if they can also have fun with it too. And I think it's a good reminder that when you are putting on TV, it's basketball television. You should have fun. It's a beautiful sport. It's a fun sport. And it should be reflected in how you talk about it. And if that ultimately will be his biggest legacy is how he just actually changed everything in sports media. And I'm not sure if we're ever going to see anyone like him ever again. 
No, I completely agree. Uh, such a trailblazer. Tim, this has been a fantastic chat. Thanks for just chopping it up with us for just a couple for a few minutes about just Charles Barkley's legacy. Can you please let our viewers and listeners know where they can just find the book, where they can find you on social media, any other projects you want to just let everybody know about for 2023? Yeah, cool. Uh no, I uh appreciate so much again, Justin. Yeah, so I am uh at the Washington Post at Tim Bella on Twitter and uh yeah a book it's called Barkley and available everywhere books are sold whether it be Amazon, Barnes and Noble, uh especially your independent bookstores too. So uh yeah and it, it just write about a couple of different things this week, everything from uh Jimmy Carter to uh cocaine bear. So nice <laughs> check those out. Yeah. Cool. Will do. Thanks a lot, Tim. Appreciate it. Thank you, Justin. Take care. Hoopsology podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best, as you know, in men's below the waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped recently launched the ultimate men's hygiene bundle, the performance package. Join over 7 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code Hoopsology at Manscaped.com. The Performance Package 4.0 by Manscaped has arrived and all man is a game changer. A huge shout out goes to Manscaped for hooking Matt and I up with the Performance Package. Inside this package, you'll find a lot of useful items. You'll find their lawnmower 4.0 trimmer that you've probably heard of before. You'll also find their new weed whacker ear and nose hair trimmer. You'll find crop preserver ball deodorant, crop reviver toner. Don't sleep on those products, gentlemen. Performance boxer briefs and a travel bag. And for my bearded brethren, and I know there are a lot of you out there, be sure to check out the new Beard Hedger, which is a tool that makes managing your beard so much easier. 20 different instantly adjustable length options, no more messing with multiple clips with your trimmer. It's a really slick and ingenious product. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code Hoopsology. That's H-O-O-P-S-O-L-O-G-Y at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code Hoopsology. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. We thank Manscaped for supporting the show.